We're going to read the entirety of the chapter, or the psalm, but I'm going to be focusing on tonight the first verse of the psalm. And uh, certainly there is much to think of, much truth that is found in this psalm, but we're really going to spend some time, and it's going to be this study and probably uh, next week's study, uh, to study and to meditate upon uh, this psalm, and uh, I think we can get a maybe general view of the psalm first, and then consider the details. And um, I think sometimes when we think about all the wonderful truth that we find in the Bible, we could be here for a while, but it's good to break it up. And a meal, you can't take it all in at one time, sometimes it's good to start off with an entree, and so tonight's the entree. Uh, but I uh, was starting to study verse 1, and then uh, the Lord impressed some things on my heart as I began to study, and I said, well, we're going to just concentrate on verse 1 tonight. But let's read the whole chapter together. Psalm 9, verse. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down to verse 20. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. This is the... Um, to the chief musician upon Muthaben, a psalm of David. And so Psalm 9, verse 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in thy throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he, rem- he remembereth them, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid in their own foot is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Haggion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the heathen be judged in thy sight. 
Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. I'd like to bring your attention back to the first verse. Verse 1, the opening words, I will praise thee, O Lord. I'm going to preach on that this evening. I will praise thee, O Lord. And uh, I hope to uh, maybe help us this evening to know how we can praise the Lord and how we ought to praise the Lord, but also to see what is the result of truly praising the Lord. And it's an important thing. And before I pray, I typed the word. I did a search on in different, um, what are those called? Host sites. You know, there's Google and Bing and things like that. Different things you can use. DuckDuckGo, all those things. I did a search for the word praise and then I looked at the pictures. And I was pretty saddened to see what the world thinks praise is. The majority of the pictures was a dark room with a bunch of people gathered together. It looked like a rock concert. People with hands up in the air on the stage with the smoke and lights and all those things. I thought to myself, that's not what praise is. And so hopefully we're going to try to find out what the Bible says about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word and help us to understand what praise is all about and what it does for us. Now give us understanding according to your word. Help me to be faithful to your word, to preach it accurately, faithfully, and clearly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to this psalm, the first thing that we find here as we look at the psalm as a whole is really the perspective of praise. Now when you open the psalm, clearly we first begin with the words, I will praise thee. So we know that this psalm is a psalm of praise. Now praise, if there is going to be truly praise going on, that means, number one, that words are going to proceed from our mouth. Praise is not the jiving of the body. It is not the lifting up of hands. Praise is words coming out of our mouths. And so he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. So praise is not just words that come from our mouth, but it is uh, an introspection into the heart of man. Now, when we think about this psalm as a psalm of praise, we first see in this very psalm the perspective of praise. And when I'm thinking about the perspective is, as the psalmist is saying and penning these words down under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we see that this psalm begins with praise, and the praise is directed to the Most High. Notice the first two verses. I will praise thee, O Lord... With my whole heart, I will pray, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And so we have the idea of praise. When we praise God is we hold God in high esteem by our words and by the sentiment of our heart. And we see God as the Most High God, and so we praise Him. 
But we understand also the perspective as to when is this psalmist praising God. Now we might expect all of a sudden to say, well, he probably had a good time right now. And so he thought to himself that this is a good opportunity to praise God because everything is well in my life. Not so. Not so. Notice with me the last two verses of the psalm. We could even go, well, before we uh, go there, we see in the midst of this psalm, he mentions his enemies. He says in verse 15, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made, in the net which they hid, in their own, their own foot taken. Earlier in verse 13, he says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, consider my trouble which I suffer. So notice here, the perspective of praise is he is praising God while he is in trouble. Not while he is not in trouble. And so praise, the presence of praise, does not mean that there is an absence of trouble. Notice the last two verses. For arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy side. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Now it's interesting as he begins in praising God and thanking God as the Most High, he ends the psalm uh, with the nothingness of the nations under the shadow of the Most High. You see that? He begins the psalm by saying we see God as high and lifted up and we will praise God and by the end of the psalm, in the midst of the psalm, he's talking about his enemies, he's talking about being in trouble, but by the end... He sees the heathen and the nations as nothing. They are but men. And so those who praise the Lord will always have the right perspective. Those who praise the Lord will always have the right perspective. You see, who is greater? Here's the question we ask. Who is greater the Lord Most High or the heathen nations that rule the affairs of men? Who do we fear most? The Lord Most High or the heathen nations that rule the affairs of men? Uh, with whom are our minds most preoccupied? Are we preoccupied with the Lord Most High or are we preoccupied with the he the nations that rule the affairs of men. What proceeds from our lips most often? Praising God or verbalizing our frustrations over the heathen nations? You see, the psalmist here is not troubled with the nations. Why? Because they are but men. That's what he says at the end. He reminds himself that the nations are but men. And by the way, we find here, therefore, that this true perspective can only be the result of the mind that has been overtaken with the Most High. You see, the end of the psalm does not happen without the beginning. The mouth that does not praise God will not see the nation as but men. 
those who are overwhelmed by the nations of the world will have great trouble praising God. Why? Because they are consumed with the affairs of men. They are so troubled that they can't see God as high and lifted up. You see, the end of the psalm is only possible with the beginning. The psalmist, by the way here, it's evident as you read the psalm, the psalmist here is not ignoring the heathen, he is not ignoring the nations, but he acknowledges the nations only after he has first acknowledged the Lord being most high. You see, to think of the nations without thinking of the Lord will bring distress to the heart. But to think of the nations with a God-word perspective will set the heart at peace. Do you believe that? When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, by the way, Paul had been in prison at Philippi, he, he wrote this to them in the fourth chapter. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. And then he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he says, be careful for nothing. Don't be troubled. Don't be uh, over-frustrated with the cares of this world. Turn your attention to God, and then God will keep your heart and your mind at peace. You see, we must never begin with the nations. Or if we do, we must turn our attention to the Lord Most High. And then we will see the nations as they truly are in the sight of God. So we see here the perspective of praise. This is the perspective of praise. He begins by praising God, and by the end, the nations are as nothing. They are but men. But then we not only see here the perspective of praise, but we come back to verse 1, and we note the particulars of praise. There's a number of things that we note about the particulars of this praise. I mentioned the first one, and that is, first of all, we consider the context of praise. The context of praise, if you want to think about, all right, under what circumstances is this psalmist praising God? Well, verse 13 and 14 give us a good glimpse into the context of when this was written. He says, verse 13, "...have mercy upon me, O Lord." Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, that thou liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So the context here of this praise is trouble. You see, the praise of the psalmist is found in the midst of conflict. Now, the human nature part of us would say, well, I will praise God as long as everything is well. Well, I would say to you that that's exactly what the world does. Things are well and they say, well, wow, this is great. Uh, they praise, give praise, maybe not to God, but to their own lives. And they may even be thankful because all is well in their lives. But for the people of God, it is quite different. You see, the people of God are able to praise God 
in the midst of conflict and trouble. So we see the context of praise, but then we note the personal nature of praise. If you notice here the words, the the psalm begins with uh, two small but very important words. The psalmist says, I will. Now he doesn't say, I am praising the Lord. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord. And so we find here that this praise proceeds from the individual. So what I note about this praise uh, and the nature of this praise is that it is that it is personal. You see, praising God is a personal decision. In other words, he is not compelled here to praise the Lord because he is in the audience of God's people. He says, I will praise the Lord. Now, you may say, well, pastor, we come to church, and when we come to church, we sing and we praise God. And that's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad when we come together and and God has an audience with His people that are lifting up their voices together and praising God, and there's nothing like congregational singing. It's wonderful. It's great. But that's not personal. You see, if the only time that we actually praise God is when we are gathered corporately, then there is something missing in our lives. This is not, the psalmist says, we will praise the Lord. It's the psalmist saying, I will praise the Lord. So this is a personal decision, but we also see it is a decision of the will. Here notice, he announces that I will. He is expressing here a purpose to continue to praise God. Notice, he's not saying here in this moment, I am praising the Lord. He says, I will praise the Lord. So what the psalmist is saying here is he is setting forth a discipline for his life. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I determined to do. I'm not just doing this now. I'm going to purpose to do this and to keep doing this and to continue to do this, whether my life is going well or whether I'm in the midst of a conflict. I am disciplining myself, setting forth a discipline in my life. I will praise God. You see, enjoyment, when we think about, all right, so what are you talking about here, a a discipline? Well, he says, I will. I'm going to do this. I I commit to praising God in the midst of conflict and in the midst of trouble. And so he's going to develop a a discipline of praising God. And and by the way, it it is a discipline because I I think we, we all know that there might be times when maybe we didn't feel like coming to church, but we still came to church. Why? Well, because we have a discipline. That in the moment is, um, we do not succumb to how we feel. We are disciplined enough to go to church. We may be the same, maybe with Bible reading. One day you may say, well, I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. But yet you still do it. Why? Because you want to develop a, a discipline. And sometimes we think of discipline in a negative sense, but really uh, enjoyment arises out of discipline when it is developed. You see, discipline in and of itself may not necessarily be pleasant, but the fruit that discipline yields is 
pleasant. Let me ask you this question here. And I ask this question because I know this is true in my life. And now you may be shocked by this. But sometimes I don't feel like going to church. Did you ever, have you ever felt that way? But then you go to church and you're glad you did. You see, in that moment, didn't feel like it, but you discipline yourself. And so the fruit of discipline is pleasant. Now, the discipline itself may not be pleasant, but the fruit of it is pleasant. And so here the psalmist says, I will praise the Lord. I want to learn to praise the Lord in trouble. I want to learn to praise the Lord when I'm in conflict. And by the way, it is something that has to be a personal decision, but it's also a decision of the will where we say, I'm going to implement this discipline. And when, when things are not going well, one of the great examples is my father. I remember my, my father, things would go bad, something would happen, and he would gather the, uh, the family around and say, what do you praise God? What do you thank God for? What is that? That's discipline. Well, what if you don't feel like praising God? Praise God. And when you begin to praise God and have the discipline, you're going to find your heart quickly changing. Why? Because God certainly has been good to you even when things are rough. So we see here the context of praise, the personal nature of praise, but we also see the exclusive recipient of praise. He says, I will praise, what's the word? Thee. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm going to praise I think much of praise today is just about that. Just about praise. No, no, no. I will praise Thee, O Lord. I will praise Thee. You see, praise is found here to have only one recipient. You do not find here self-praise. Neither do you find His praise directed toward other men. His praise is directed to the Lord and exclusively to the Lord. Look at verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Notice verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name. Notice down to verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Notice verse 14 that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So I want you to notice here that the exclusive recipient of praise is God and only God. And he is careful to say every time, it's not just I'm praising right now. No, no, I'm praising the Lord. Why? Because God, despite our circumstances, is ever faithful. And He does not change. And we may be bothered by our trouble, but He is not bothered by our trouble. And there are two aspects here to this praise. Notice first, He is praising the Lord for who He is. And then He is praising God, the Lord for what He has done. Do you see that? I will praise thee. Notice verse 1. I will show forth thy marvelous works. So praise is directed toward God for who he is, but also for what he has done. 
You see, those are the two aspects of praise that we find in this chapter. Notice down to verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord. So God is the exclusive recipient of praise. No one else. And notice at the end of verse 11, declare among the people his what? Doings. So the psalmist does two things. He praises God for who God is, and he praises God for what he has done. There's a, a good structure as to what do we praise God for? We praise God for who he is and for what he has done. So that's the exclusive recipient of praise. By the way, in this psalm and in many of the psalms, the psalmist does not find himself puffed up and say, well, look at what I've done. He finds himself often broken and in desperate need for God to intervene in his soul, to encourage him and to strengthen him. Now, I have two points, other points, as we think about the particulars of this praise but they go together. The, the following two must be in combination. We find the inward depth of praise in verse 1, but we also found, find the outward manifestation of praise. So we find the inward depth of praise and then the outward manifestation of praise. Notice verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now, you would think it would be enough to say, I want to praise you with my heart. No, he said, I'm going to praise you with my whole heart. And then he says, I will show forth thy marvelous works. So here in this praise, there is an inward depth to his praise. It's not just an outward show. It's from the heart, not just part of the heart, but the whole heart. The whole heart has been completely overtaken by God. And you see, some, that's why by the end of the psalm, he can say the nations are but nothing, they are but men. Why? Because my heart is completely overtaken by God. See, if part of my heart is overtaken by God and part by the affairs of the world, then it's a 50-50 and there's a wrestling match going on about who's going to have the preeminence in the heart. No, it's the whole heart that's completely turned to God. And so there's an inward depth in this praise, but also there's an outward manifestation of praise. Now, by the way, they go together because when we think about the heart, we're thinking here that he, he loves the Lord. He want, that's why he wants to, to praise God. And I know that when we think about praise, and not we, but maybe the world, when they think about praise, what do they think of? Well, they think about a bunch of people in a congregation dancing around, having their arms up in the air with the strobe lights and the smoke coming out. And that's what people think about praise. And they have their church meetings today, and they'll have an hour of praise and then a 10-minute little sermon at the end of And they'll say, well, we praise God today. And the truth is that's not praise. And they'll say, oh, we love God. We praised Him for an hour. How do we know that the heart, holy, is praising God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I think the second part, he says, with my whole heart, notice, there is a semicolon, so the thought is not done. He says, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. So there's both an inward depth, but then there's an outward manifestation of praise. So here he doesn't say, well, all that matters is that my heart loves God. No, I'm going to demonstrate 
that I love God by showing forth His marvelous works. Well, there's a pattern for us in the Scriptures. Now, Jesus Christ in His last moments with His disciples, you read uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. There's a wealth of truth in those chapters. But you remember what He tells them in John 13, 35? He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Okay, so we get that. And so, what is love? Is that just a, a feeling for one another? Well, you remember a little later in chapter 14, he, he says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Oh, so it's not just a feeling. It's not just me saying, Well, I, I love God and I, I want to praise God. Well, do you love him enough to show it? Later in John 14, 21, Jesus said, He's He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Uh, verse 23 says, If a man love me, he, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You want to have a true praise experience? Then it will be demonstrated. It will not just be a feeling of the heart and the waving of the hand. Later in John 15, verse 12, Jesus said, This, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so he says, you, you want to know, how do you know that I love you? Is because I'm laying down my life for you. For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave. The proof of the love of God is not shown in what He has said. The proof of the love of God is shown in what He has done for us. But too many people today want to talk about how they love God and how they want to praise God, but they do not want to obey Him. And I say they do not love Him. They do not love Him. And we're not talking about the fact that we are perfect. But is there any desire to show, not just to praise with our whole heart, but to show the marvelous works of God and to demonstrate that in our lives? So let me remind you of the particulars of praise. We see the context of praise, trouble. The personal nature of praise, I will the exclusive recipient of praise is God and only God. And then there's an inward death, depth to praise, but there's also an outward manifestation of praise. Which brings us to the last point. And that is the, the progression of praise. How do we get here? In other words, look, notice verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. All right, so here's the steps we find. We find praise, love, and works. In that order. Praise, love, and works. Praise, I will praise thee, O Lord. Love with my whole heart. And will 
show forth all thy marvelous works. Now let's think about that first one, praise. Praise, now remember, I said at the beginning of the message, we're coming back around with the context of the two last verses. When he says, I will praise thee, the context is there's trouble, there's people that hate him, and there's enemies around, and yet by the end he recognizes that the nations are, are but men. And so we say, okay, he, he is praising God, but what enables him to praise God? And I would say to us, it's faith. Faith. You see, praise is the expression of faith. He is in trouble. But what is he doing now? He is looking to the Lord. That is faith. Uh, you, you see, uh, we know, uh, and so we say, well, uh, what, what do I need to do when there's trouble around me? Well, you remember what Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we, how, how can we praise God? Well, we praise God when we know who He is. Well, how do we know who He is? Is that just how we feel about Him? Uh, have we constructed a God of our own imagination? No, well, the God that we know is the God that's been revealed in His Word. And as we know God in His Word, so faith cometh by hearing, and, and hearing by the Word of God. And so when we think about praise, well, praise is rooted, or it's the expression of our faith. The, uh, the psalmist is in trouble, and in the midst of trouble, he's not looking, looking at the trouble, he's not looking at the heathen nation anymore, but by faith he's looking to God. And when he looks to God, he can praise God by faith. And so praise is the expression of faith. Now you remember in Hebrews 11, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we know that uh, uh, faith is, is something that is substantive. Well, you can't see. I know, but it's substantive. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Now you remember, he said then in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews 11. I'd like to look at... Um, you remember uh, now we in, in the book of Exodus on Sunday evenings we've been studying through uh, what's going on there and particularly uh, Moses. But notice here he's going to talk about the faith of, of Moses. In Hebrews 11, notice with me verse 33. Or, no, excuse me. Uh, verse 24. Notice, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Notice here, the wrath of the king. The king is coming after you. He wants to rid himself of you. Here's an enemy. He is the king of a heathen nation. Moses did not fear the wrath of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, Moses could stand before the king and uh, the trouble that was around him by faith. He could see him who is invisible. Now go with me uh, to the end of the chapter. Hebrews 11, notice verse 33. 
who, now he, he mentions here, and watch verse 32, and what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Notice, who through faith, what do they do? Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fly, turned to fly the armies of the alien. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through what? Faith received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they which uh, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now we see. Look, all that they all they all did this through faith. What they were able by faith to look to God in the midst of trouble, a trouble the trouble of what heathen nations all around. By faith they endured. Now remember what Moses it says by faith he not fearing the wrath of the king as seeing him who is invisible. Well, go to chapter 12. Here's where it's get personal. Look at all these examples. 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, okay, so we connect all of chapter 11 going into chapter 12. That's what the word wherefore means. It is a bridge between the two chapters. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here is, here, the big question is we ask, what, 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 what is faith? Here's faith, verse 2. Three words. Looking unto Jesus. That is faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so here we see, understand when we think about uh, how can anyone praise God? Praise is the expression of faith. A faith that does what? That looks to Jesus. So praise is the expression of faith. Now, <clears throat> faith sees God. Okay? Go back to Psalm 9. Faith sees God. So here's the question for us tonight. Where is our sight? What is our sight or who is our sight set on? Pastor, do you see all that's going on? I, I see what's going on. I, I just saw the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which means no respect for marriage. I, I saw what happened, but that's not where my sight is set. Is that troubling? Oh, yeah, that's troubling. That's the destruction of Western civilization. That's what that is. But that's not where my sight is set. My sight is set on the Lord. And then I realized when I looked to God, 
I said, all oh, those heathen nations, they are but men. They are but men. You say, faith sees God. And so faith, I understand. So praise is the expression of our faith. Faith sees God. And when we see God, then faith, the exercise of our faith in God, deepens our love for God. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Oh, in the midst of trouble, now that I see God, oh, how I love Him. Because of what He does for my soul in the midst of trouble. And so, faith sees God, but then His love. And so the question is, we, we, the first question was, where is our sight set? But the second question is, whom is our affection for? Are we praising God with our whole heart? You see, when God is seen for who He is, God will be loved. You cannot but love Him for what He is and what He has done for, me, for you, for me, for humanity by dying on the cross and seeking to reconcile man back to Himself. Where do we find that God? We find Him in the Bible. And so when we see God, and when He is seen, God will be loved. Could it be that, that we don't love God as we ought and we know our love fails and is fickle, not like His love that is ever enduring and everlasting, but could it be connected to the fact that we don't look to Him by faith and we don't see Him so we can't appreciate Him for what He is and what He wants to do for us in the moment of trouble? So faith sees God. When God is seen, God is loved. But then we see here, as I mentioned earlier, that love is always made manifest. You see, we see His faith, we see His love, and then we see His work. He says, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. How is our faith and affection demonstrated? So here's, faith sees God. When God is seen, God is loved. And when God is loved... God is spoken of. Notice with me, Psalm, Psalm 9 verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, faith. He sees God. With my whole heart, when faith sees God, God is loved. And when God is loved, I will show forth all thy marvelous works God is spoken of. I will praise thee, O Lord. Do you want to develop that discipline? Do you see the need to develop the discipline of praising God? I believe that that discipline will be much rewarded. Unpleasant, remember the context of this psalm is trouble. And yet he can look to God. <clears throat> I've said this statement before, but I'll say it again, and I think it's applicable for us here. When God has his rightful place in our lives, 
Everything else in our lives will have its rightful place. Now, two things. He's looking to the Lord and he's looking to the heathen nations. When God has his rightful place, then the nations have their rightful place. You see, all of a sudden the nations are not troublesome to him anymore. Why? Because he sees God. When God has his rightful place, everything else in our lives will have its rightful place.